Welcome to part two of this week's podcast. Let's move forward now, uh, Dr. Hilton. I've, I've heard you say this before, that we often jump from Friday, crucifixion, to Sunday, resurrection, um, and we skip Saturday. But you like to talk about Saturday. Why? I, I love Saturday because it's in the middle, right? So you've got yesterday's tragedy and tomorrow's triumph, but now we're in the middle. And I feel like so much of our lives, metaphorically speaking, is Saturday, right? We, mm. Something bad has happened. Maybe it's going to be resolved. We hope it's going to be resolved, but it hasn't been resolved yet. So I, I, I love wow. lingering for a moment with the women at the tomb. This is huge. This is not a little thing because so often when people are going through tragedy, we talk about the future. It's going to be okay because such and such and such. And I, th- I know we mean well. Uh, but for me personally, who has who has seen a lot of difficulty over the last six months, um, I, I I'm not overly concerned about the future. Like I believe too, I'm with you. I, I believe that the future is going to be great. My concern and my pain, as long and along with I know many others, is not that we don't believe. It's it's in the right now. Hmm. The right now is hard, and if we don't stop and say the right now is hard, I think. We can be too quick to just tell people it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, think about moments that we we almost gloss over entirely, like taking Christ's body down from the cross. What did that look like? What did that feel like? Mary Magdalene's there. Mary, the mother of Jesus is there. What's in their hearts? They go to the tomb. He's buried. What's running through their minds? And And I think a key is that they don't leave town. They stay near the tomb and they come back Sunday morning. Um, so is it okay if we move to s- Sunday now, John? I was hoping we could uh, just have five minutes of silence on the podcast and just let us all <laughs> kind of let it just marinate. No. Yeah. Um, so, so as we, as we go to Sunday, I don't know ex- exactly how everyone wants to approach this, but I, I do want to kind of throw out a, a resource that's changed the way I view the resurrection. And it's doing a side-by-side study of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John teach about what happens at the garden and beyond, the garden tomb and beyond. And I, um, I, I know that you both have studied this quite a bit. And it's interesting that although the, the core message is the same in all the accounts, right? The tomb is empty. Women are the first witnesses. Jesus is alive. There's subtle differences that maybe when you start to notice them, bring out these great insights and spiritual nuggets that, that at least I had never noticed before. So, so again, in, in the show notes, I'll give you a side-by-side handout that you can use. I think this would be a great family home evening or a good Sunday afternoon study time to just kind of carefully read what are the little subtle differences and similarities in these accounts and what do I learn from them? Because there, there's so much I know we're, we'll spend some time unpacking it right now. But even if we had three hours devoted to this segment, we couldn't really unpack all there is to offer in Matthew, no. Mark, Luke, and John's teachings of the resurrection. In fact, um, let's start unpacking um, because one of my favorite things to show my students is that in the Gospel of Mark, in the original Gospel of Mark, mm. you never see a resurrected Lord. Um, if you go to the end of the Gospel of Mark and you see the women are there at the tomb. Now, I've, I've, I've heard something, John, and you can tell me if this is incorrect or not. But in Jesus's day, women could not be legal witnesses. Yeah, so there are, le- there are restrictions on women in terms of their ability to hmm. testify in public court settings. And here the Savior, I think, does it on purpose, maybe, to show, listen, here are going to be my first witnesses. I think Elder Talmadge said uh, that Jesus Christ is the greatest defender of women Hmm. to ever live, right? And this is one indication that he doesn't care about um, the the legality of a woman's witness. He is going to, those are going to be his first witness is a group of women. But when you get all the way down to 16.8, It says this, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. You can uh, look right there. That is the original ending of the Gospel of Mark. Um, (laughs) It just ends right there. Talk about a a bad ending. Um, And it might be a good ending for some, you know, I've heard a lot of New Testament scholars say, no, this is good because of da-da-da-da-da. But for me personally, I like a nice 
tie the bow ending. And this is a leave you hanging ending where you're going, what happens? What happens? Right. And almost as if, um, Mark, if you, if you were read Mark or heard Mark read to you, you might say, I got to know what happens. Right. It was almost left as a cliffhanger. It's almost, I I've always thought, what if we did this as missionaries? We did a kind of a gospel of Mark approach and said, Joseph prayed and in the light, he saw to find out more, please go to, you <laughs> we'll know, come back Church next weekend. Share the rest of our message. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, what, what did he see? What did he see? So it's almost as if Mark is kind of leaving him hanging there. Anything on the gospel of Mark, John, that you want to talk about? So I, I one thing that I think really is interesting, and I, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but, but throughout the gospel of Mark, there's several times where Jesus does a miracle and then he'll say, don't tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now here at the end, the young man at the tomb tells the women, go tell people about Jesus, and they don't tell. It's a reversal. And I wonder if it's meant to be sort of a literary irony, right? And now it, mm. it comes to you and me, the, you and I, the reader, we are left in the tomb. That's where, that's where we end in Mark. We're mm. there. And it's kind of like, okay, well, if the women don't go tell, who's going to tell? Who's going to share the message? Who's been along for the ride the whole time? Me. So am yeah. I going to now keep the secret or am I going to go spread the good news of Jesus? So I love that short ending. Yeah. It it does seem to not be a, I would say, John, I don't think this is a Mark condemning these women. He's, he's um, using a literary device here, right? Uh, Because I'm sure these women eventually told a lot of people. Matthew's going to highlight that for us. Um, yeah. So, so you're right. Every, every gospel is going to give a slightly different portrait, but I think especially in Mark, and I like how you said that it was probably heard. Mark was most likely a, a performance, right. right? People are hearing Mark, not reading it. And so now that dramatic note, I think actually is a powerful witnessing moment for me as a disciple to say, okay, what am I going to do? It is. I just, I, when I, if I watch a movie with a bad ending, it leaves me uncomfortable. Maybe that's the whole point to leave you a bit uncomfortable, uh, and say, you gotta, you better go find out more. You better. Yeah. There's, there's more to this than you realize instead of tying it all up nicely. Mark yeah. was most likely written first, right, John? So let's go to the Matthew account, which has its basis most likely in the gospel of Mark. You know, one one little subtle difference. So we we were just talking about the women at the tomb. If you look in uh, verse eight, Matthew twenty eight eight, it says they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. I love that phrase. They did run. Hank, you're a runner, John. I don't know if you're a runner. I only run if I'm being chased, uh, which is rarely. So <laughs> you're um, a swimmer. <laughs> But it, but think about like, I mean, if I had this kind of news to share, how fast, how far could I run? And I can almost feel the adrenaline uh, in these women as they're running to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and maybe that like, that's something for me. Do I, metaphorically speaking, am I running to tell people about Jesus Christ? Do, am I hiding my light in a bush? I'm like, oh yeah, well, uh, mm. this weekend, I, you know, I, I did this on Friday, I did this on Saturday and, and I don't talk about church because I... I'm not running, metaphorically speaking, mm. to tell people the good news. Yeah. Do you feel like you have good news? Because this was this is good news. This, this is, is good news. Yeah. This is change your life news, and I've got to tell you. Um, and then uh, it seems like the author of the Gospel of Matthew is saying, "Let me give you a little bit more than Mark gave you." Would you agree that he's saying, mm-hmm. "Okay, let me let me uh, those of you who are reading my account of things, I'm going to give you a little bit a little bit more," which to be a first century reader would be really fun. Um, to, to get a, you know, a, a second account. It says um, that Jesus meets these women and tells them that they, he is going to meet um, his brethren, which I assume to be the apostles, in Galilee, which is a three-day journey away from the tomb. Uh, and that's how Matthew's a little bit, uh, a little bit different um, in, in my point of view in that you have him appearing. We're going to go ahead and look at Luke and John here in a second, but he's in Jerusalem. He's around that area appearing here. It's go to Galilee, go back home and I'll, and I'll see you. I'll see you there. So that's, I don't know that they're going to go back home anyway, but to go back home, having the anticipation of he's going to appear is, is a, is a beautiful idea. Let's go home then. Let's take the journey. You know, as we think about the fact that they came and Jesus tells the women directly go tell my brethren. It's interesting that the message to the apostles is coming 
from these women that Christ is commissioning. And, and oftentimes we think that revelation always comes from the top down. And it, and it is true that we are led by a prophet and we need to follow the prophet's counsel and teaching 100%. At the same time, in the history of the church, sometimes great ideas have come from other sources, right? Aurelia Rogers has the inspiration to start the primary program. And she takes her ideas and shares it with the president of the church. And then it becomes the primary program that eventually we know and love today. The welfare program also started as a, a stake program. And then mm -hmm. it came up and came to the whole church. So this mm -hmm. is this has happened. So, and I just think it's okay for us to pause and, and, and reflect for a moment that Christ's original message as a resurrected savior is to women. And, and that's important. And he's calling yeah. them to be witnesses to his apostles. Mm. I think that's a beautiful idea. And I, oftentimes I think we like to take latter day principles and ideas and kind of force them onto the past when we can be comfortable that things weren't exactly the way we have them today. The end of the gospel of Matthew, it doesn't seem to be focusing on wow, he's resurrected. It seems to be focusing on the apostles go, go mm -hmm. teach right? Almost as if this fact that this person came back from the dead is just a side note to the, com the commission to these, um, to these apostles. In fact, I think in the, in the MTC, as it was redone a few years ago, there is now a beautiful, big sign in the MTC with the great commission of Matthew 28, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Um, is, do you think the, the author of the gospel of Matthew has this in mind? Because um, the first century Christians needed to get out there and spread that message. And so he's kind of telling them that. Yeah, that's a clear emphasis, right? We've got to spread the good news. And, and right after that, so so the, as you called it, the Great Commission there in verses 18 and 19. Um, and then in, in verse 20, at the very end, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And I, I think that's a powerful message to go along with the idea that when, as we're sent out to preach the gospel, Jesus is with us always. And he's saying that even as he's bidding them farewell, he's right, like, all right, get out of here, go teach the gospel, but I'm always with you. And, and actually, if you remember the very beginning of Matthew in Matthew chapter one, when it talks about Christ being born, it, uh, Matthew refers to a prophecy from Isaiah saying that his name shall be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So here now at the beginning and end of Matthew, there's this message, Jesus is with you. And I love that to think about us on the Great Commission, sharing the gospel. We're not alone. The master of the vineyard is laboring with us. Oh, yeah. That's that great Jacob 5 reference, right? Um, and you guys both know my personality and how odd I am. But I often tell my students, well, when I was on my mission, people would ask, why can't you just leave us alone? Great. Believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. Why do you got to come knocking on my door? And I think as a as a nineteen year old, I was oh I'm so sorry. We're so didn't mean to disturb you. We'll we'll go our separate. But I think now as an older as an old man, I would say something like, "Listen, I don't want to be here either, but you take it up with him because this is he asked me to." Matthew twenty eight. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So if you're if you are have a problem with this. I, I honestly wouldn't say this, but if I, in my mind, I would be thinking, if you have a problem with this, take it up with him because it's his commission to his followers, go and teach, go and spread the gospel. So, um, I, I think, uh, um, as a missionary, if a missionary is maybe hearing this, they might have confidence in, in what they're doing, that, uh, you are following the master's commission to go and teach. And yes, some people might be bothered, but he didn't say that. He didn't say, go and teach all nations, but don't and and apologize anyone. when you bother yeah, them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he was, he was, this is a straightforward message. I love where this is going. Now I, I'm excited to see, uh, when I, when I saw, and they did run it, it, uh, I don't know. It just reminded me of in the book of Mormon, when Jesus was with them, and then he said, I'm coming back tomorrow. It says there were people who were up all that mm. night to gather others to be in the place where Jesus said he would appear on the morrow. Mm. And I think if you knew he's going to be here tomorrow, 
and you didn't have a phone or telegraph, all you had was your curloms and kumoms or your horse. Or, <laughs> how hard would you Get on work? the kumoms, kid. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> we got to go tell how, everybody. I, I love just the idea of how hard would you work to make sure your family was there. Mm. So I like that. Yeah, that John, that is such a good idea. It reminds me of uh, Luke 2, right? And the shepherds made haste. Yeah. Mm, right? Let's go. They, <laughs> let's go tell everybody. Okay, let's turn our sights on the third account. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, uh, where Luke adds a story. He says something very similar to both Matthew and Mark. If you read in Luke 24, he talks about uh, the angels, the tomb, the women. He adds a little piece of information that we don't get in Matthew and Mark, and that's in verse 12, about Peter himself hmm. going to the sepulcher. Uh, but then we get a whole new story <laughs> um, that we haven't heard before. Before we go to the new story, if I can just highlight um, one one little question in verse 5 that's also unique to Luke. Hmm. Okay. It's the phrase, uh, why seek ye the living among the dead, is the question that the angels ask the women. And I, I know that you both have been to Jerusalem several times and uh, we all in, enjoy going there. When I was living in Jerusalem, I would love to go to the traditional place of Christ's death and resurrection. And I I remember the last day I was so sad and I was like, how am I going to keep coming closer to Christ when I'm back in America, you know, and it's not the same as living in Jerusalem. And this was the line that came to my mind. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Mm. Jesus is risen. We, I mean, I hope that we all get to go to Jerusalem. Like it's a fantastic experience. But we don't have to walk where he walked to walk closer to him now. And, and just that idea that he's risen and we don't need to seek him in Jerusalem per se. I mean, great if you get the chance, but we can seek him now in our lives. And I think that's a, a, a little powerful question that the, the, the angels bring out here in Luke. Oh, John, you really touched my heart there. Um, uh, one regret, my father passed away this last month. And uh, one regret, regret I have is I, I never got to take him to Jerusalem. Mm. We'd always talked about it and uh, he was a caretaker for my mother. So you just he healed my heart a little bit uh, there that uh, we don't need to see Jerusalem. It is a beautiful experience, um, but uh, we don't need to see Jerusalem. Um, it reminds me also of a, a woman who said um, that she was sitting at her young daughter's uh, uh, graveside and uh, she felt the the Holy Ghost speak through in the words, in the voice of her daughter to her, uh, I am not here. Don't seek me here. Mm. Um, if you want to be closer to me, go to the temple. Mm -hmm. Go to the temple. That is that is where I, I am. And so I I like that. I like that. Um, uh, this idea of that Christ is very much alive and very active uh, in our lives and in the church. So Luke tells us this story that we don't get anywhere else. It's one mm. of my absolute favorites um, in Scripture. I say that a lot about Scripture, but it really is. It really is one of my absolute favorites, and that's the road to Emmaus. Uh, what do you What do you want to talk to us about, you, both of you? This is an important one to me personally because we have this, uh, one of the biggest uh, pieces of art in our house was uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and my dad loved to show us what the artist did. And uh, and then tell us the story, how he drew near to these two men walking, and they didn't. Their eyes were holding. It says they didn't know who he was, and they were. Have you a stranger around here? Have you not heard what's been going on? And then Jesus opens up the scriptures and tells them everything. And and uh, when he when he leaves, he is like, "Well, come and eat with us." I can't remember exactly what they said, but uh, they they say, "Abide with us." And I've always thought, does the hymn "Abide with Me" come from that verse? Abide uh, with us is even tied, and and so we sing that. But Jesus leaves, and then they say, "Did not our hearts burn within us as He walked and talked with us by the way?" And we love that in our family <laughs> <laughs> for that reason alone. But I love when that recognition comes. Hey, wait a minute, who was that? And our hearts burned. We felt something while He talked with us, and uh, and I don't know if we even know uh, who those two disciples were. Is there another gospel that speaks of these two and gives them names? No, there's, all, there's only one named here. His name is Cleopas, and then the other one, some New Testament scholars have said, it's got to be Luke. Mm. I don't see any evidence for that, but I have heard that, yeah. uh, that 
that the other one might be Luke. What, what say ye, John Hilton? Yeah, same. Same with same with you. You said we don't know who the the second person is. Some people have, have yeah. maybe speculated that it's a, a female disciple as well. We just don't know for yeah. sure. I love this story. As John said, they are walking, uh, and it's a long walk, right? We're talking, you know, there. If you have your footnotes with you, it used to be in kilometers, uh, but then someone said, "Why don't they just speak American?" Uh, and uh, I think it says what now? Uh, seven miles? Is that what Something it says? Like seven that, and six or seven, seven miles, and a half yeah. miles. That's a long walk. I don't know about you guys, but uh, that's. In steps, I guess we're now talking in steps. We're talking, you know, uh, mm. this is this is going to be twenty thousand steps. Um, so it's going to take a couple of hours. And I, you know, Jesus is there with them. They don't know that it's Jesus. I, I I love that. I hope it comes. I hope it's a standard feature in all resurrected bodies, the ability to be have <laughs> other people's eyes holding. I've joked with my students. I hope this just isn't a Jesus upgrade. Uh, because that would be, I would spend the, the first half of the millennium just scaring my friends, right? You two, I'd be, so what did you think of your friend Hank? Right. And then, the, and then they say, well, he wasn't my favorite. See, it was me the whole time I told you, but my favorite is that they say, he says, why are you, got, why are you both so sad? And, um, they say, do you live under a rock? Right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the Greek, right? The Greek is the. Yeah, yeah. There's a loose translation from the Greek. I've read the papyri and yeah, it (laughs) is. Do you live under a Petros? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) John. Um, So (laughs) there are, there are some jokes that only we will, we will get. Um, But uh, they said, and this tells me that everybody's talking about Jesus. Right. They're saying mm-hmm. there's Are not you the a only that, stranger that, that yeah. doesn't know about this. You don't know about this. This is a big deal. Uh, and then they make this statement and maybe you guys um, stop me if I, if I skip something you want to look at, but mm. they lost their faith in verse 21. We trusted yeah. that mm. it had been he, which should have redeemed Israel. Right. Um, and to me, this just speaks volumes. And I'll ask my students, what's wrong? Why did they lose? Why did they lose their their faith in 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 Jesus? And usually the students will say something like, he didn't do what they assumed he would do. Hmm. The political right? deliverer um, thing. Right. right. They they had some made they had made some assumptions. Mm-hmm. or had some expectations of him that he did not meet. And when he did not meet them, instead of challenging their expectations, they they doubted him. Hmm. Um, and I see this happen so often with friends, students, and others who lose their faith because they set up an, an expectation for God or for even Joseph Smith, or uh, they have an expectation and uh, who knows where they got it. These men probably got this from tradition. They were probably taught this at some point. They probably maybe even had read the scriptures and had made this assumption from reading scripture. I don't know, but it was a, a bad assumption. And my favorite part about this is that the Savior takes, he says, a beginning at Moses, I assume they mean Genesis. He takes what we would call the Old Testament and opens it up to them. Um, and he corrects their assumptions using scripture. Uh, and I have asked my students, if you ever feel so inclined, uh, and I have done this, I'll say something in my own prayers, Lord, if I, if I have a, an assumption or an expectation that is just false, it's just, will you help me correct it as I study the scriptures? Uh, and I'll tell you both that it's happened. There have been times where my own personal expectations for things. I remember one student said, I just don't know if I believe in God anymore because I'm not married. And I said, um, where, hmm. where did you get that? Ex-? He said, don't you think if God loved me, I'd be married by now? And I said, no. Like, where does that say in the scriptures, when thou reachest the age of 20 and six, if thou art beloved, thou shalt be wed, right? It does not say that anywhere. And I said, where did you get that expectation? Uh, and he was really great about it. He said, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I just made it up. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, I think John has already talked to us about it. There, there is the law of retribution in the Old Testament, the law of the harvest in the New, and we talk about those all the time. But there's a Saturday in between. 
Right. And concerning the marriage thing, just just talk to me about it. I was way into menace to society territory uh, <laughs> before I got married, but I, and I'm thinking about the Beatitudes were so interesting because it was blessed are the present reality for mm. they shall be, and there was a future possibility. And he sent them all home in the middle of their Saturdays because, uh, and so I, I liked that idea. And I think that we all have that idea of law of the harvest, but there's some patience required in the middle. And that expectation, I know that uh, our friend Sherry Dew said once that if all that were required for ha getting a husband were fasting and praying and going to the temple, I would have Nephi's lined up at my door, she said. <laughs> And so there again is a, an expectation. Um, so I, I like that idea of we're, we're in the Saturday. I'm going to remember that for a long time. And, and I think just like a helpful, like quick expectation reset is to go through our scriptural heroes, right? So Abinadi, super faithful, burned at the stake. Mormon works his whole life to protect his people. He's murdered. Moroni lives the vast majority of his life completely alone. So there should be no expectation that if I'm righteous, everything's <laughs> going to work out. Jesus himself. Yeah. Right. Jesus himself. Um, right. Look at his life. There should be no expectation of I live the gospel and I get everything I want. <laughs> right. So, so speaking of Jesus, though, this is one of the things I think is so cool about that verse you pointed out in verse uh, 21. We had hoped he was the one, but I guess he wasn't. And they're mm. losing hope in the very moment Jesus is with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and how often maybe is that true for us, right? Like I'm like I'm giving up. I, like I don't it's feel like connected I'm to right God. Here, I'm right here right now. Yeah. And so if any of our listeners are feeling that we had hoped, I, maybe not. I testify, Jesus is walking with you now. He's there, and maybe we can't feel him. Maybe heaven feels distant sometimes, but that does not mean he's not there. Yeah. So many times, and I'm, I don't want to say this is an all the time thing, but whenever I have talked to a, a friend, a student who is struggling, has doubts, often, I'll say often, not all, but often it is based on some sort of expectation they have. Mm. Um, they'll say something like, I just found out that the Book of Mormon has had changes in it. And I said, yeah, I, I knew that too. That's awesome. Right. And they had an expectation that somehow if the Book of Mormon had changes, it wasn't true. Uh, a woman said to me once, and it really was a soccer mom. We were at a soccer game and she was a mom and she came up to me and she said, she said, brother Smith, don't you think if the church were true, it would be, it would be bigger. And I said, what do you mean? And she kind of thought, thought it through and explained to me. And she said, don't you think it'd be bigger? And I said, um, well, that's not what I see in the scriptures, you know, and I talked about, you know, Nephi saying, I saw, you know, many are called, few are chosen. I saw the saints of God and they were few. Uh, just so often we, we are, we're basing our faith on bad expectations. And mm -hmm. I think when President Uchtdorf said, doubt your doubts, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but to me, I hear, analyze your expectations, right? Analyze those first before you doubt your faith. Uh, and it's it's been something that's worked um, worked for me. And I think I am so typical of these guys. When it all gets worked out, they say, we knew it the whole time, right? Uh, did our hearts not burn within us? <laughs> of course, I never doubted for a second, right? I, I had it with me the whole time. By the way, Jesus vanishes. Again, I hope that is standard resurrection body uh, ability. Don't you guys like, <laughs> if I can change my appearance and vanish, I will have a wonderful... <laughs> A wonderful uh, <laughs> afterlife. I just, <laughs> I will, I will spend the first, you know, few millennia just doing those things. I want to highlight it in chapter 24, verse 36. So as the disciples are now eating, as you mentioned earlier, Hank, in Jerusalem, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you. And, and you can look at these next few verses as far as a proof of Jesus having a physical body in the resurrection. And that's a powerful point. I also just love that, at least in English, we see the first word Jesus says is peace. Mm -hmm. And when the angels announce Christ's birth to the shepherds, they say peace on earth. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, his birth, here in the resurrection, everywhere in between, Jesus wants us to be at peace. And I, I love that message. Um, why is John so different than the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Mm -hmm. And then you have this, well, here's all brand new stuff. 
Yeah. So I think uh, 93% of the gospel of John is unique to John. And so you're right. Th- there is a difference. And uh, early Christian fathers were talking about this and, and suggesting that John was aware of the earlier details being recorded. And so John wanted to write a spiritual gospel, kind of ha- having a different mm-hmm. focus in the gospel of John, we see Jesus portrayed a little bit differently. He's more divine. He always knows what's going on. For example, in the garden of Gethsemane, if we are watching a video of it, we almost always see Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. And that happens in Matthew and Mark. But in John, Jesus takes control of the situation. And as the guards approach, he says, who are you looking for? And we see a Jesus mm. who's in complete command. Mm. And I think John wants to maybe highlight some of the divinity of Jesus Christ that maybe isn't as fully fleshed out in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah. I've also noticed that you get a lot of up close and personal mm. accounts of Jesus in the gospel of John, where you get a lot of sermons in in both Mar- or both Matthew and Luke. You get Jesus in one-on-one conversations with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, with his Mm. own mother, with Pilate, uh, here in the resurrection, a lot of one-on-one conversations. Let's jump into the resurrection then, as it told by John. Uh, And since we have two Johns here, now we're on a third John. (laughs) This is overwhelming for me. Uh, But what do you both see in the resurrection account as given in the Gospel of John? In Luke chapter eight, we see that Mary Magdalene has seven devils inside of her and Jesus casts them out. And I don't know exactly what it means to have seven devils inside you, but it's clearly not good, right? And I'm definitely not saying it's Mary's fault, right? And it, it could be yeah. something spiritual, emotional. It could be a physical ailment. Who knows? But the point is, it's not good. I like, I like this. Um, having seven devils in you is not good. Not good. A message from the church of Jesus, right? Like, like <laughs> I, so, think I think we're safe. I think we're, we're on, on the one. safe side on that one. <laughs> so then jumping ahead to John chapter 20, um, as Jesus appears first to Mary Magdalene, and it's John chapter 20, verse 16, she's remained at the tomb after Peter and the other disciple have left. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary, and she realizes it's Jesus. And so to me, that is a great message of hope. So if here's Mary with seven devils in a low, difficult state, now she's the first human witness mm. of Jesus Christ. And it's hard to think of a, a higher spiritual state or calling or opportunity than to be the first human witness of, a, of the resurrected Jesus. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I, I love that story to see Mary Magdalene go from a dark place to a beautiful place. And that's a message of hope for those of us who are feeling like we're in a dark place right now. Oh, that is really nice. You know, um, John, teach us about verse 17. Uh, So Jesus says, uh, Mary, she turns, she knows who he is. Her whole life changes in one word and it's her name. Um, I've always had, I shouldn't say I've always had, when I was in primary, I just really hated the fact that Jesus could not, or that Mary could not touch. Don't Jesus. touch me. Don't touch me. In fact, I really, I, I, I remember pressing my primary teachers on this. Why? Why can't she touch him? We don't know, Hank. Just don't ask anymore. I'm like, no, this is a problem. What is he like a, like a, a cake that if you touch him, he might collapse. Like, what's the problem? Why can't she touch him? We don't know, Hank. We just know that she can't. Uh, John, teach us, t- become my primary teacher from long ago and tell me about verse 17. Well, I mean, we can first look at footnote 17a, the Joseph Smith translation changes it from touch me not to hold me not, which has a really different connotation. And it would be interesting to be a filmmaker. I I love the Chosen series. I can't wait till we get to this part in the Chosen. I wonder how they'll choose to film it. For all we know, they've embraced for some time. And now Jesus is saying like, okay, don't hold on to me. I've got to go. And, and actually, I think we can tie this back to what you said of expectations. Mary has maybe some type of expectation in her mind. Jesus, you're back. You're going to stay with me now. And Jesus <laughs> says, well, well, don't hold on to me. And in fact, if you think about it in John, this is the first post-resurrection teaching that Jesus gives. Don't hold on to me. And maybe we can see in that I've got a different vision. Don't, don't put me in your box right? I've got a bigger plan. I've got some ideas and it's going to be amazing. 
Yeah. Have you ever, I asked my students this, have you ever been in a hug where you're hugging someone and they say, they say, Hey, I got to go now. And you say, okay. And then you just keep hugging them. Right. Uh, you know, you're going off on a mission or going away to college or something and your mom is just hugging you and you're saying, okay, I, I got to go. Okay. Right. And they don't let go. Uh, and we, and we don't I know just, for, we don't know I for don't sure what the image is, but, but that, we don't know for sure what the image is, but what you just said, Hank, that, that resonates with me. I, f- I feel like that's more what we're seeing rather than a can't touch this kind of a yeah, moment. Yeah. Hey, Mary, you, you got to let me go. I know you don't want to, but you got to. Um, okay, let's keep going. John gives us a lot on the resurrection. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me more uh, uh, what you see in this last uh, chapter and a half. One of the things about John 20, I feel like... We've had so much fun in this podcast talking about, hey, can we be a little bit easier on Martin Harris? Can we be a little bit easier on Signe Rigdon? Can we be a little bit easier on Thomas? Yeah. I just, it, it's almost like this is too good to, I really want this to be true. But until I see him, I mean, that's how I, I'm kind of feeling like maybe the poor guy, now it's doubting Thomas for the rest yeah. of eternity. <laughs> I mean, for rude, that's not yeah. the JST. We call him doubting Thomas now. I mean, or, and we don't, we don't talk about denying Peter, you know, it's just somehow poor Thomas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In John 11, Thomas says, we're going to, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die. Let's go die with him. How can yeah. we don't call him die with him, Thomas? Yeah. Brave Thomas, courageous <laughs> Thomas. Courageous <laughs> Thomas, yeah. Uh, maybe we identify with uh, the doubting side instead of the I will go and do side. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I wonder with people, if we remember them for their highest moments or their lowest. And, and what would um, we like to be remembered for? You know, yeah. and and so if we're going to do unto others, let's let's remember unto others as we would like them to remember unto us. Mm. To massacre and, an old phrase, yeah. and this <laughs> and this goes, I think, for me personally, it goes with people in the past uh, that we mm. love. So oftentimes, mm. we love to judge the people in the past uh, for their lowest moments. They're not even here to defend themselves, mm-hmm. right? They can't even make a case for themselves. Uh, and we can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to remember you for your your high, your high moments. I'm, I'm going to at least try to be charitable in that way. And one other quick thing, if we were to go back to Luke uh, chapter 24, 11, when the women come back and say, Hey, you know, Jesus is risen. It says for all the disciples are saying their words seem to them as idle tales and they believe them not. So Thomas mm. isn't really unique, right? And saying like, Oh, I'm Good not going to believe. I mean, everyone else yeah. was also, it's kind of like what you said with the people at Emmaus, like, Oh yeah, our hearts were with us. We, we knew the whole time. Right. But, yeah. but here we're seeing in John, this kind of highlight that, that Thomas doesn't know. So he's singled out in a way. Yeah. When mm. Jesus says, uh, you know, Thomas, blessed are you because, uh, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed Jesus probably isn't talking about the rest of the apostles there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause they're like, Oh, that was me. That was me the whole time. And he's going, no, none of you. Right. Uh, they all, you all thought it was idle tales. Thanks for bringing that up, John. Yeah. You know, w- w- one little thought before we go on to, to 21 is so Jesus says, Thomas, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. And then the narrator says, the things that I've written, these things are written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have heard Elder McConkie's last testimony where he mm-hmm. says, I won't know any better than in a coming day when I kiss the Lord's feet than I know now of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And maybe we thought like, wow, that's Elder, like, that's Elder McConkie. That's, that's an incredible level. I could never get there. Recently, President M. Russell Ballard said that every member of the church can have an apostolic-like witness of Jesus Christ. And the in Doctrine and Covenants section 46, we'll be there in a couple of weeks, the very first spiritual gift listed is to know through the Holy Ghost that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. So I hope that as we read John 20 and hear these experiences that we don't just think, oh yeah, that's for them or that's for the super high level people. President Ballard said, we can all strive for an apostolic like testimony of Jesus Christ. And I hope that that's, I mean, the the author of John is telling us that, right? These things are written so that you'll see and believe. Hmm. That is that is just absolutely beautiful, John. I, I I love John's admission. I think it is in ch- back in chapter twenty, where he admits we did not know 
Look at chapter 20, verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What seems so obvious to us Hmm. was not so obvious to them. And even probably even in writing it after the fact, they make it even more obvious in their writing than it probably was. I find in my New Testament class, I have a frequent guest speaker by the name of Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, and he joins us via video of General Conference. (laughs) He tells this wonderful story of uh, kind of adding some backstory to this maybe, and of Peter saying, I don't, it's been great, but I go a fishing. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And uh, if you haven't seen that, go find Elder Holland talking about that he says there, I think he said at the beginning, there's not a group I identify more with than these apostles or that I feel more sympathy for trying to figure out how to, hmm. what are we supposed to do now? I, I don't know. That was amazing. Um, I go a fishing. Okay, we'll go with you. And then he says, and they caught nothing. He says something no fisherman ever wants to admit. They <laughs> caught nothing. And then he calls them children in verse five. <laughs> and kind of repeats an event that had happened when he first met Peter. Um, so I, I love that. Uh, find, find the talk so we can share the reference because the first great commandment, I want to say October of 2012. Mm-hmm. And one other little paraphrase that he does in there is he basically says, Peter, why are we having this conversation again? Right? Yeah. Like I've already <laughs> called right. you one time. And, and sort of the message is if you've had an encounter with the risen Lord, your life is never going to be the same. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's true for us on, on other levels, right? Like if, if I'm doing church right, or if I have a powerful spiritual experience, I can't just go back to how things were. My life has to be different. Jesus is calling us to do something new. I can't tell you often, I've shared this with my uh, students who've returned from missions mm. and sometimes just kind of go back to old habits and old ways back and old music and, and back to the boats. And yeah. And I think the Lord would stand at the edge of the sea going, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's Elder Holland in the same talk who says, listen, um, you're going to leave these nets a second time and go change history. Don't act as if that didn't happen or if it's, oh, well, you know, it's over now. Um, this, these, these, what does he say? These 11 fishermen go on to change the world in which we now live. Um, and they do. Uh, they, they are the messengers uh, from here on out. Uh, what do you think about this conversation between Jesus and Peter? Uh, that he asks him three times about, about, do you love me? What do you think, John? Well, one of the things that we often will focus on is the three times Peter denies Jesus. And now these three times he's kind of affirming his faith in Jesus. And I I mean, I I love that idea. It's, It's also kind of amazing for us to just step back and say, this is so cool that they're even having this conversation. It back in Mark chapter 16, where we began One of the things that the young man specifically says to the women is go tell Peter. And we're just thinking like, of course, Peter's going to be the chief apostle. Like, of course you got to tell Peter, but imagine that you're hearing this story for the first time. The last time we heard about Peter before the resurrection is when he denies Jesus three times. And then he's out of the storyline. So you and me as the original readers, if we've never heard the whole story, we're probably thinking like, wow, too late for Peter. He's kicked off the Lord's team, right? You know, you deny him like you're gone. But how amazing that Jesus is saying to Peter, I think in essence, with these three questions, you're still on my team. And I love that for me because I'm I'm Peter, right? I'm a disciple who's trying and I'm nowhere near as good Peter is, but I'm still failing all the time. And Jesus is still saying, hey, don't worry. You're on my team. I, I need you. Come feed my sheep. Ooh. Come work with me. I love this. I love this because there are uh, people who feel like a major, major mistake disqualifies them mm-hmm. forever. And and Peter's mistake, um, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's a commandment. Oh, it's a mistake. We don't, we don't need to go there. We can do that at some other time. But uh, if it is a mistake, it is a big one. Um, and you might think that's it, right? And I remember President Hinckley talking about this. He said, "I those of you who have fallen by the wayside or, or made a bad decision or you know, done something you never thought you would do. Um, I hope you'll take comfort from Peter who rose above this 
and became a mighty witness of the risen Lord. So I think another message from this is um, you, you, you cannot be disqualified from, from the Lord's work. If you want to be come back in, how forgiving and wonderful is he to welcome you back in um, and let you move forward? So the very last verse in the book of John, many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And so in that, I try, can you, can you make room for another testament of Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what I want to say. Could it be possible to make room for another one? But uh, I also know that we have what's critical and essential, and we have enough to exercise our faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I like that, and I'm, I wish we had more at the same time. I have a question for both of you just about Easter. Um, we've been just diving into the scriptures here for the last few hours, and I have loved it. Uh, but I love to just sit back for a minute and and talk to talk to me about what you know in the in the Come Follow Me manual. Uh, the principle, the very first principle they list is just three words long: Jesus Christ lives. Hmm. Talks about the witnesses, the many many witnesses of His resurrection that we've had, including Joseph Smith's in Doctrine and Covenants section seventy six. What um, in your lives has the knowledge, uh, the witness of the risen Jesus done for you? I like to tell my students, this is a big deal. A belief in the resurrection is a game-changing belief. It's not a, well, I believe, I believe, you know, pineapple belongs on pizza. That's not a game-changing belief, but a, a belief in a resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, this man from history, that is a a life-changing belief. And it's a big one. This isn't a little belief. I heard you teach a class on the resurrection one time, and you pointed everyone to the Bible dictionary entry under miracles, where it basically says, if you believe in the resurrection, then every other miracle ceases to be improbable. You know, if someone who believes in Jesus said to me, will you really think... God flooded the earth, or you really think, you know, Jonah spent three days in a whale. I'm not sure whether those are symbolic or not, but to the idea that they would say, well, that's kind of outside the realm of, of, you know, scientific explanation. I'm going, wait, wait, wait. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus was resurrected? Yeah. Okay. Once you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, a 14 year old boy having a vision, receiving gold plates, that's nothing, right? That, that's, that's actually right in line with that belief, right? The, the guy walks on water. I think it was um, Dr. Mike McKay who, who gave me this great statement. He said, if you look at all the scriptures, you should never look for Jesus in the likely. You hmm. should look for him in the unlikely, because everything he does is unlikely. Uh, and <laughs> the story of Joseph Smith and the other things we've talked about this year are all in the realm of unlikely, but not out, not for him. Uh, tell me what the belief in the, in the resurrection has done for you both. So for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is my grandfather, John Hilton I, who passed away about a month before I was married. And I was close to him. He lived in Provo. I was going to school at BYU. He met my then girlfriend, now wife, Lonnie, before my parents did. Like We were just close. And tears were shed and their sadness at the passing of a loved one. At the same time, I, I realized that I did know that the resurrection is a true principle. I did know that I was going to hug my grandfather, John, again. And for me, a knowledge, a deep-seated knowledge of the resurrection is one of the best things in our lives to bring peace. That we, we know at the out front, Jesus wins. We don't have to worry about everything that's going to happen between here and the end of the game because ultimately Jesus wins and it is going to work out. And for me, that just brings so much peace. John, I know uh, your mother passed away recently, just uh, in January, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the the resurrection uh, and Easter for a minute, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, I was saying mm-hmm to she passed away. It was in December. December so it was yeah. just another aspect of 2020 uh, that in, in my 
personal history that I'll think of along with earthquakes and everything else. But, but yeah, she, uh, um, it was one of those, one of those times when, uh, do I have a testimony or don't I? And coming from deep inside me was, I do. <laughs> cause, cause, uh, I'll have my mom again. And she was a, one of the most saintly people ever. And I'll have my dad again. And, um, so we would not be here. We wouldn't be talking about any of this if it weren't for that event. Uh, what would we, if Jesus had remained in the tomb, would we be here having a podcast? What would we even, it would just be another person in history that maybe said some interesting things, um, like other philosophers. But look what happened. He actually appeared again for the first time ever. And take all the philosophers and great thinkers of the world, but did any of them ever come back and have many people see them? And then you see, you start reading the book of Acts, what happened to these apostles? Because they are like, I don't know, to me, it's like they are different people. They are fired up. They are power. They are fearless after this. And you see what happened. Well, what happened was the Savior was resurrected. And I thought if we could reset the holidays, I think Easter would be bigger than Christmas. And that's not up to me. But Easter should be a lot bigger. Christmas is, oh boy, it's coming. But Easter is, look, he did it. He did everything he said he was going to do. And uh, so, yeah, I do have a testimony that that tomb was empty. And because of that, I'll have my mom again. I'll have my dad again. We will all have our loved ones again because Jesus rose from the dead. Hmm. John, that is, I, I don't think you can overemphasize uh, the, what you said about um, the apostles. Yeah. I, I remember listening to a New Testament scholar. He was a believing New Testament scholar. And as you all know, not all New Testament scholars are, are believers. Are believers. Uh, yeah. and, but they're, they're, they're very brilliant people who we love to learn from. Um, but this believing New Testament scholar said, give me another explanation for the lives of these apostles, <laughs> right? That if, if Jesus hadn't been resurrected, why in the world did they go back to Jerusalem, the very place where everyone would know he wasn't, uh, to teach? Go to Galilee, go, go to India, go somewhere else if you want to go and, you know, and profess this, uh, this, this fake event. Don't go to the very place where he died, where people could actually produce a body, where they could, you know, they could produce uh, witnesses. Uh, so I, I just think this is the lives of the apostles to me, as someone who loves to just think logically at times, uh, at times, um, is the lives of the apostles is to me a massive evidence yeah. of the resurrection that you, there is no other explanation for, right? You might say, well, they did it for fame. They, <laughs> they all died. Um, they all were martyred. They all left their families to teach, right? There's no fame in this. As John said before, would you want to stay in Jerusalem where the chief priests have people killed that believe like you do <laughs> right and and the government did you want to go back there and they were fearless and as we see there in john peter got a hint of the kind of death that he would have yeah and uh yet he's a fireball after this and he is the rock jesus called him the rock long before all of this happened but boy he he lived up to that didn't he you know, this has, to me, this ties so well, and you guys can help me with this. This ties so well to the story of the Book of Mormon. Um, my friend Corey Andrews and I, we were on a church history tour once, and we started just talking about the comparison between the Savior coming out of the tomb and the Book of Mormon coming out of the stone box. And there, you know, there are so many comparisons that you can make, uh, but just like the Savior coming out of the tomb and the Book of Mormon coming out of the stone box, um, you know, both have 11 witnesses. We have the eight and the three, and we have the listed 11 apostles. We have a woman named Mary who sees Jesus. Mm. We have Mary Whitmer who tells her story, <laughs> uh, right? There's just so many, you know, just fun parallels that you can make with that story. But both are a game-changing belief. A belief in the resurrection changes your life. 
the next one is a belief in the Book of Mormon and the restoration changes everything. They're both really game changers. And uh, I think we can tie this together beautifully, uh, that they are both, yeah, unlikely, but they're both true. Um, and uh, to me, it's it's absolutely um, not just wow, but it's also, it touches my heart as someone who's been, like you said, John, just losing uh, losing someone. You know, before losing um, someone I love to the other side, uh, Easter to me was was candy, uh, and it was you know springtime, which I love. You know, get, the weather gets warm, and uh, but now Easter to me has taken on a new a new um, uh, just a, an all new meaning. It's not a holiday. It's now a holy day, mm. uh, because of what it represents that will happen for all of us. Um, the Christian doesn't just say Christ lives. He says, I shall live. Right. Um, and I, to me, just to me that it, 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 what did, uh, what did, I think it was Stephen Harper or Tony Sweat who told us with, just a couple of swipes, Joseph Smith cut through theological Gordian knots, right? Um, and to me, this is one of those that mm. the, the, one of the questions through all the ages of time is, you know, Job's question. Yeah. If a man die, will he live he again? Live again? And, and then uh, Job awesomely says, uh, what, what did he say? Though this uh, worms destroy this body in the flesh, you know. I will. See God. Uh, he yeah. had a testimony of resurrection before it had happened. We've had a long discussion today, uh, and um, it has been uh, just so uplifting. Uh, I am I am grateful that that those who had not heard of the name John Hilton the Third before now know it because I've known it and had and had that you know friendship and just that strength of character and testimony in my life for a long time and now a lot of people do um john as a scholar uh you 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 don't only write to latter day saints but you write to what is called the academy um and you do and you're prolific at both um everyone at BYU knows uh that john hilton can produce scholarship and devotional work Unlike anybody else, really, unlike anybody else. Someone is as brilliant as you and you believe. I just want to know more about that. For me, I think it, it really goes back and is deeply rooted to the Book of Mormon. My grandfather that we've talked about a little bit, John Hilton I, he did word print studies after he retired. He became a statistician at Brigham Young University. Some of you may have heard of word prints. It's, it's basically statistical analyses that show that the Book of Mormon was not authored by Joseph Smith. Um, I definitely would not base my testimony of the church on word prints, right? But like I grew up hearing about word prints and chiasmus from my grandfather, and it was all really interesting. And, and I actually found that there's a lot of intellectual basis for a testimony, right? The Lord will speak to us in our minds and in our hearts. But much more than word prints and chiasmus and other little, you know, kind of intellectual proofs of the Book of Mormon. I remember when I was 18 years old, my, what were then called home teachers came to my house and they shared a quote from president Benson, where he said, if you seriously study the book of Mormon, a power will flow into your life. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to take that invitation up and, and to seriously study the book of Mormon. And my life did change. I felt the power from God flow into my life. And so the intellectual proofs are nice, but ultimately it's a testimony of the Book of Mormon as the word of God that has fueled it and really been, it's kind of a cliche, but it's really been the keystone of my testimony. Because if the Book of Mormon is true, then you know Joseph Smith's a prophet, because why would you have a false prophet translate a true book? That just doesn't make sense. And if Joseph Smith is a prophet, then the church he started is true, because why would a true prophet start a false church? And if the church he started is true, then it's led by a living prophet today. And so for me, everything then is centered on the Book of Mormon. And because it's the word of God, I can have confidence in everything else that cascades from that. John, by the way, uh, another episode of Come Follow Me is in the books. Tell me how, I just like to know how you feel at the end. You always make me feel good. 
Oh, feel feel great. I I was thinking uh, we have some pretty tender feelings close to the surface. Um, all of us uh, surrounding recent deaths and things. And when I was in the Holy Land, of just a really fine, um, I believe, Protestant gentleman said something so interesting outside the garden tomb. He said, uh, you know, you can go in there. Um, you won't find Jesus in there, he said. Um, but if you come out, bring him out with you and introduce him to some of your friends. He said, a lot of people want to leave him in the tomb. And I just remember thinking that is what a lot of the world has done. That, oh, the whole resurrection thing, that was a myth. He was a great moral teacher, but he's probably still in some tomb somewhere. And I like the way that he said, and that's, I mean, it reminds me of something similar. A lot of people want to leave the baby Jesus in the manger and leave him the baby Jesus instead of the one who grew up and started to teach, and then someone will leave him in the tomb. And uh, I don't know, I just, it's been a fun uh, couple of hours to talk about, as you said, this game changer, that he's not still in the tomb. He's risen as he said. I just love it. My friends, thank you for joining us on this episode. Thank you to Dr. John Hilton III, uh, and thank you to our producers, Steve and Shannon Sorensen. Thank you to our production team, David Perry, Lisa Spice, Jamie Nielsen. Thank you all so much for your help. We hope you come back next week and join us on another episode of Follow Him.